Today we're talking about sex and sexuality for men who have multiple sclerosis. It's a fantastic topic, a really important topic, one that we rarely, unfortunately, talk about openly, so we're changing that. We've got some great information. We're going to address some of the common concerns and issues that men with MS may have, and we've got some great suggestions for you. So I'm really fortunate. I'm having a conversation with Darren Radley, a relationship counsellor and a sex therapist. He's been in private practice since 2006, spoken to many, many people. So I met Darren recently at World MS Day in May, and he's a member of the Australian Counselling Association and ASSERT, which is the Australian Society of Sex Educators, Researchers and Therapists. He's got over 10,000 hours of clinical experience working with individuals, couples, families, workplaces, groups. I think um, Darren has seen and heard many things. So a very warm welcome to you, Darren. Yeah, thank you, Nicola. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, experience there and I've heard many different things. But look, Thank you for inviting me on today. It's a you know great privilege and honor to be here today and to share some information that I hope will be of benefit to the listeners. Some of my uh, research, anecdotal research that I've uh, accumulated in my clinical experience, I'll pass on. And as I said, hopefully that'll be of some benefit. Darren, can we start with just a brief introduction to your underpinning philosophy and your approach to sex and sexuality? Yes, that's a good question. Uh, Nicola, when when I saw that question, it made me actually think. It's a question that I haven't really been asked in a long time. But look, my underpinning philosophy and approach to sex and sexuality is is primarily one of consent. So what I mean is do no harm to oneself sexually or to others. So important that you know there is consent at all times. Also important that one develops a curiosity in one's own sexuality and sense of sexual self and you know a curiosity in other cultures and other sexual experiences out there in the greater world. So that's sort of a basic underpinning philosophy but I mean, sex has always been a powerful driver since the inception of of the human race, and many things have sex has had a big impact on politics, religion, education, to name just a few facets of society. So, yes, it's had a big impact throughout history, but also a very big impact on our family of origin core beliefs around sex, what we think about how we've developed that uh, attitude and conceptions of and perceptions of sex. So my approach is to explore sexual difficulties with an individual or a couple, delving into some of those family of origin core beliefs, but also relational triggers or barriers, um, medical or physical limitations and treatment, medications, mental health challenges, such as mild or extreme anxiety or depression or any other stresses in life, such as workplace stress and so on. So this is what's called a multidisciplinary approach where you involve more than one health professional and develop a plan involving others who can assist in that approach to exploring the sexual difficulties. And I find that to be the most reliable and best outcome 
for for my clients. So we're going to look at the physical and emotional aspects to sex and sexuality. So if a sexual relationship is difficult with your partner due to relationship issues rather than MS complications, what brief advice would you provide to work on these issues? Yeah, no, this is another good question, Nicola, because yes, you might just, you can't be thought, put the horse before the cart, so to speak. So if relationship issues are a barrier to a sexual relationship with your partner, then MS complications, I would recommend straight up couple counselling. And look, this is obviously couple counselling is recommended if you feel the issues in the relationship can be worked on, can be fixed, better managed, or the relationship's worth fighting for. If you feel that strongly, then set up some couple counselling. And that's usually the reason for couple counselling is because a third person or an impartial person, a neutral person is best to go to. You might get some good advice from a friend or family member, but remember they're always going to be biased. So it's important to get that neutral opinion from someone you don't know who can see your blind spots. And if you can't see someone face to face as a couple online, Couple counselling is quite effective. I've done a lot of that over COVID and it's been very effective. But obviously, don't wait around. Don't sit on this. You've tried to work it out on your own, I'm sure, or together and you're hitting brick walls and getting exasperated and feeling helpless. So book in that, book in that couple appointment straight up, straight away. Don't let any more time elapse. And I can assure you, Whilst you might feel alone or scared or frightened of the future, the unknown, what could happen as a result of couple counselling, I assure you from my experience, it'll be worth it. Darren, when you said couple counselling, I felt like I could almost hear a collective groan from our listeners um, as, <laughs> as the men out there listening kind of went, oh, no, not not counselling. Why do, why do you think that men are so reluctant in that space? Uh, look, that's because, Nicola, that men struggle with identifying feelings straight up. They struggle with even knowing what they're feeling. And it's not because they don't have feelings. Research has shown that men equally have as many feelings as women. It's just as being conditioned not to show those feelings. So the struggle for men is making themselves vulnerable in that space. That's what I've I've seen as one of the big barriers. But once they get talking and once they feel comfortable, you've got to feel comfortable with the practitioner. Once you do, then um, I usually find men are, are quite quick to open up and, and discover yeah. a little bit more. And it, it really does, once you get into that more aware and more vulnerable space, it really does help relationships, doesn't it? And, and helps that intimacy and, and as a spin-off from that helps people's sex life as well. So I hope that collective groan that I thought I might have heard might have abated a little bit with, yeah. the, with that. Yeah. Okay, so um, Darren, what are some of the common, more physical sexual difficulties a person with MS might encounter? Well, yeah, look, sexual concerns you know, are very common for people with MS. Um, 50 to 90% of men with MS have sexual concerns. Also, important to remember that uh, 
the Australian survey recently discovered that one in five men over the age of uh, 40 have issues with erectile difficulty, maintaining an erection. That's men without MS. And one in 10 men from that survey also were found to not able to get an erection at all. That's men without MS. So, so it's really quite common, much more common than what the general media would have us believe, I think. Correct. That's right. It's very common. And um, it doesn't mean it's not treatable. So, I mean, some of the Sexual dysfunction can impact on the mental health and mental quality of life, and even more than, for example, the severity of the physical disability. But some of the common concerns and challenges for people living with MS are decreased or absent libido, fatigue, anxiety, self-esteem and depression, bladder and bowel issues, spasticity and pain, altered genital sensation, numbness, sensitivity, pain, changes in frequency, intensity of orgasms, getting an erection, maintaining an erection, ejaculation. So look, there's a list there and being diagnosed often with MS at the peak of a person's life can alter their perception of their body and affect their desire and their relationships. I mean, it's often heard, often said that I don't feel like myself anymore and where relationship has changed or it's changing. So there are changes in communication that happen as a result of the impact of MS and puts a strain on money, energy, resources, just to name a few. Mm -hmm. So Darren, if we focus on that main concern for many men, which is erectile dysfunction. Can you give yeah. us some more information about this and some options that might be available for men listening who are experiencing ED? Yeah. Okay. So look, to start with, um, I don't really like the term erectile or sexual dysfunction. Unfortunately, it's become a common medicalized label, which is, creates a sense of coldness or clinic, clinical aspect to it. I prefer to use with my clients the term erectile or sexual difficulties, which has a more empowering notion behind it. So in other words, this is a current difficulty in your sexual life and um, we're going to find a way to manage it better rather than a dysfunction. The word dysfunction is heavily loaded. So erectile difficulties or ED is essentially when a man is unable to get or keep an erection that allows sexual activity with penetration. So it's important to remember it's not a disease, but a symptom of some other problem, which is either physical or psychological or a mixture of both. So as I said before, ED is very common for men uh, and it's common for men as they age, one in five, Australian men over the age of 40 uh, have difficulties getting and maintaining an erection. One in 10 are unable to get an erection at all. So um, I also discovered that a recent US study found that ED was the most frequent difficulty in men with MS. So it, it's, it's, a, uh, it's a worldwide um, challenge. So it's sort of, I don't know if that helps normalize it, but it's common, and but also it's treatable. So 
with each decade of uh, age, the chance of um, having erectile problems increases, unfortunately. And um, I've also read that it's mother's na mother nature's way of saying to a man as he grows older, I will take away one part of your physical functioning, i.e. erections, so you are not acting out as a younger man and placing yourself at risk of a heart attack, thus reducing your longevity. So it's an interesting biological... Nature's cruel, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's Mother Nature's way of saying, look, I'm just going to take care of you, but it's a blunt instrument, though. But um, so for most men, ED, you know, cannot be cured. And, um, but for other men, there's some, there is a reversible underlying cause that can be treated. So it's important to um, assess all men with ED and to see if there's a treatable cause. So usually there won't be one specific treatment that will lead to the improvement of erectile difficulties. However, there are treatments that allow erections to happen and can be used to allow sexual activity to take place. And the three main types of treatments are non-invasive treatments, such as tablet medication, medications, Viagra being the, the most well-known, external devices such as a vacuum device or a pump, penile injections. And for men who have had no success with the other options just mentioned, uh, the more, <laughs> the more uh, intense uh, interventions such as a penile implant or surgery. However, really important to note through all of this that counselling is integral to the treatment of ED and very important part, focusing on the psychosexual or the internal thoughts and the psychosocial, the relation, relational triggers. I'd imagine, you know, performance anxiety, once you've experienced some erectile difficulty, you know, could become a real showstopper. Yep. Yeah, exactly. And that's what's called anticipatory anxiety, uh, Nicola. So with performance anxiety, you become the spectator. You're constantly rating your performance and you have a lot of anticipatory anxiety. You're anticipating, oh, gee, last time I couldn't get it up. Last time I, I lost it. Last time, last time. So it's reinforced anxiety from multiple previous occasions or even one significant previous event where you've been able to unable to get that erection or get it and then lose it. So yeah, performance anxiety is, is a yeah. big part of the picture. So that sounds like there's quite a few physical interventions, medications, pumps, et cetera, yep. but not forgetting that um, important emotional aspect as well. Our mind our mind yeah. uh, is a, a powerful tool as well, isn't it? So yeah. what, what medications are available for ED? Darren, you mentioned Viagra. Does a man have to discuss this with his neurologist? And do you go to a urologist to get them? Are there interactions? Can you, can you talk a little bit more about the, the med side? Yeah. Yeah, look, definitely um, one needs to chat with a GP and a urologist, but there are four common medications used for the treatment of uh, ED that you know some of the listeners may be aware of. Viagra, obviously the, the most common. Cialis or Cialis is the other one. Levitra and Stendra are the other two. And there are other lesser known medications, ED medications, which reviews have found to be quite you know, effective and 
quite useful. But I, I want to point out that it's important if you one ED medication doesn't work, that you try another because there are many out there. But obviously you need to consult with your um, GP or urologist extensively on this, and which I'll explain in a minute. But uh, there is a lesser known medication called EDEX, um, ED medication. That's quite useful for men who have had prostate cancer. So that's one example. But as I said, just don't pick medications off the internet because that can be very dangerous. For example, Viagra. There's been known interactions between Viagra and heart medications, for example. So a man who's experienced a heart attack or a stroke event or a cardiovascular event within the last six months must consult with his GP before trying Viagra again because of the known interactions. And I just want to point out that you know, medications, ED medications aren't, aren't this magic pill that you pop and everything just magically fixes itself. For them to work and to be effective, you have to be aroused. You have to be interested. You have to be in the mood. You can't just pop a pill and then sit down and start watching the footy. It doesn't work that way. Mm. So the man has to sort of get into the mood, want that, increase that desire. There may be exceptions to that, of course, but. Um, Viagra, when it came into the market, it transformed male sexuality and much like the pill for women, and it created this sexual superpower But uh, for men. But that sexual superpower has no power if, as I said before, the relationship has barriers. It's just not going to work. So um, Viagra has a generic equivalent called Xanderful. Xanderful is much cheaper and generally takes a about 30, 60 minutes to, uh, to be effective and lasting up to several hours. However, the other medications such as Cialis, Cialis is a more sophisticated, better medication than Viagra, and it can last in the male bloodstream for up to 36 hours, allowing more spontaneity with sex or the relationship. But as I said, make sure you discuss all this with your GP or urologist, but also check your interactions with your MS medications as well. Because in general, ED medications such as Viagra are well tolerated with MS medications. That's known. Tegradol, which is prescribed for some types of neuralgia or nerve pain, can occasionally cause ED. That happens. So it's important mm. that you discuss your, with your neurologist or your GP all the meds you are taking and the possible interactions and side effects which may relate to sexual functioning. And I think, Darren, for a lot of people listening, it might feel a bit daunting to start that conversation with their neurologist yep. or urologist or GP they've known for a long time. But I think if we can just reassure that they're absolutely not on their own, it is a very common issue. Um, and certainly something the health professional that they're talking to is either dealing with on a daily basis as a urologist or certainly yeah. uh, very frequently as a neurologist yeah. or a GP. So take the brave step and, and have the conversation because it might yield some really fantastic results. And um, so that's that's great advice. And also, you know, we, we focus on um, penetrative sex, but what other options are there to help have a satisfying sexual life? I'm, I'm sure there's lots of ways we can bring fun into the 
bedroom if people are having a variety of sexual difficulties? Yeah, yeah look, that's, that's another good question and one to think about because, yeah, sex doesn't just amount to penetration and orgasm. They're two different types of sexual pleasure, which obviously get the most attention, especially, you know, in the media, in movies and so on. But um, applying a unique MS perspective to this, I often talk about the concept of neuroplasticity when it comes to developing a more satisfying sexual life or experience or connection with your partner where MS is a complication. And some of the listeners out there may know about neuroplasticity, what it is, and basically it's defined as allowing the neuron or nerve cells in the brain to compensate for injury and disease and to adjust their activities in response to new situations or changes in their environment. So the brain essentially finds another way around the damage, the damage to the neural pathways due to to MS, for example. So the, the loss of sexual functioning or inhibited sexual, sexual functioning that can occur, such as ED, an orgasmic response due to neuropath damage due to MS. So allowing the brain to find other ways to rewire this faulty sexual response, I believe can be encouraged and focused on by developing more attention to the erogenous zones of the body by applying sensual and erotic touch. So some of our listeners may know about the erogenous zones and the erogenous zones are those parts of the body that excite sexual feelings when touched or stimulated. This doesn't have to be just only the genital area or breasts that can be, which may be little or no responsive anyway due to MS, but other parts of the body such as the lips, the buttocks, the inner thighs, the neck, the ears, the, and the area of the skin called the perineum between the, the anus and the penis and the vagina. So these erogenous zones can be stimulated, as I said, by applying sensual and erotic massage that is slow and subtle, guided by the receiver, using your hand or toys, or both, and applying water-based lubricant. This, in effect, may help and develop in rewiring the brain to find new paths to sexual pleasure and arousal that may assist in improved erections and orgasms, but if not, increase sexual pleasure and arousal that energizes your body that you may not have experienced before, mm -hmm. some other part of the body that develops a closer emotional and phys physical connection to your partner. One method of doing this is the tantra or tantric sex approach to exploring the erogenous zones. So finding out a little bit more about tantra or tantric sex would be good advice to the listeners as well. And we're, I think we've all heard of tantric sex, but so many of us haven't got a clue what it actually means, other than we all believe that Sting practices it from the police. <laughs> so, yeah. so where would somebody go that's a reputable place to perhaps find out a bit more about tantric sex, Darren? Well, probably a reputable experienced sex therapist would be a good place to start. Um, that's what I would suggest initially. Uh, Esther Perel, who I'll talk about later, 
has some great information on Tantra and eroticism. Um, Esther Perel is a world expert on relationships, sexuality, and eroticism. So you could Google her, Esther Perel. But uh, yeah, certainly starting with uh, if you have access to a sex therapist or even a doctor who might by chance have some more information on Tantra and Tantric sex. Well, essentially the simple definition of it is a build up, a slow build up of sexual pleasure and arousal. Mm-hmm. Through not rushing things. Not rushing. That's yeah, essentially the basics of it. And so and then, yeah. And I think it's lovely that you remind us that there's so much more to our body than just our genitals that feels lovely and often gets yeah. really overlooked. So yeah. there's a lot that's more right. to explore. Well, that's why that's why I answered that question by focusing on the erogenous zones taking into MS and the neural pathway yeah, considerations there. Yeah, beautiful. And for many of our younger, well, not necessarily younger, but for many of our listeners, Darren, they might be starting a new relationship. And I'm wondering what advice you might give that would be a good way to start a conversation about their MS and sex with a new mm. partner how do you mm. how do you tackle that one yeah look that's that's a really good question that's a hard one uh, especially where you know you've got the subject of ms and sex um i i would probably suggest to start with that um you start a few conversations about anything other than ms and sex so initially when you're starting out talking to someone a new relationship or meeting someone, it's usually done online, uh, texting or phone calls even to begin with. It's usually done online mostly. So what happens is online, you good place to start to feel, get a get a bit of a, a bit of a guide as to the conversation, how it's going with the person, if you're comfortable with them before you're meeting face to face. It's important to find out if there's some connection worth pursuing as you're building up a conversation, talking about anything. It could be pets, it could be work, it could be anything really that you're trying to find similarities or commonalities with the person as you're talking sort of online or uh, texting. So what you're doing is trying to build up a connection, establish some sort of rapport, some sort of spark. And usually if that feels good, and you, you want to be able to build it up before jumping straight into a vulnerable, intimate conversation about sex, because trust in the other person is really important, that you feel like you've established some level of trust. So once you've done that, the, the online sort of introduction ritual, then usually people will try and meet up face-to-face in a public, public space, such as a cafe, Face-to-face initially is going to be daunting or tricky first up because face-to-face, that's where it all comes down to more chemistry. Am I having a connection physically? Is there attractiveness going on here? But nonetheless, it's important that you meet up face-to-face, especially if you've developed already some sort of comfortable connection with the person. You trust them to meet face-to-face. I trust them enough anyway in a public place. And a face-to-face connection removes any potential mishaps and misconceptions that are always possible around texting and online, especially when you're going to 
bring up a difficult subject like MS or sex. So body language is really vital to the conversation. So you can correctly read any facial cues of confusion, for example. So you could then start by talking about talking. You can let the person know that it's difficult for you to talk about your problems and your conflicts. So for example, you might say, you know, I've always found it awkward to find a way of bringing things up. Or, you know, I think other people have an easier time than me when it comes to talking about some things. So you can sort of allude to things that have happened in your sexual past that you've struggled with or attempted to resolve. And this approach allows the person you're talking to to invite you to proceed further. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Okay. Thanks, Darren. That's that's lovely. It's a it's a nuanced area, isn't it? Starting those conversations with with new partners. Yeah. Um, how do you suggest a man with MS handles his concerns regarding possible bladder and bowel incontinence and sex? Yeah, look, that's that's a very sensitive subject. Very, yeah, once again, a very um, vulnerable subject. Um, I would suggest first up that you know, talking to the MS Continent Service can provide a continent ses- assessment. So just reaching out to MS Connect to, to organize that would be a good place to start. I've found online some great resources. One online resource, Connie Australia, can provide an excellent range of continence products or underwear that can be used with Tina Men's shields and towels, for example. But just some general advice on approaching sex where incontinence is an issue. Just first up, just really make sure that you are clean and fresh before sexual activity, because knowing that you're clean and fresh can increase your confidence and increase your attractiveness. I know it sounds a little bit um, hard to say that, but it it is nonetheless important to to feel that way. Secondly, make sure you empty your bladder or bowel before sex will change your continence or ostomony device. Also, I don't want, I wouldn't suggest that a person reduce how much they drink, but in total, but it may help to cut down on drinking a few hours before sex. Also light some scented candles to create a nice atmosphere and to and to help mask any potential odors. You may obviously worry about leakages and that's that's pretty understandable during sexual activity. However, as I said before, if you take the precautions of emptying your bladder or bowel and not drinking too much beforehand, it's it's highly unlikely that any leak will be serious and and look, if it does happen, a leakage, just remember that sexual activity involves types of bodily fluids. So a small, small leak of urine is not going to cause any problem, or even if it's noticed at all. But the bladder and bowel community online have lots of great resources on, on this subject as well. 
And I think when I've spoken to people as well with continence issues and sex, they've said just really simply, Darren, they put a towel down. They get too tired of all the laundry associated with changing their bed and they just put a towel down. And yeah. it can be as simple as that. And as you say, there's plenty of body fluids happening anyway. And it's also a very common problem. So um, please, yeah. for our listeners, don't don't feel alone. Don't feel like it's, it's just you. And as you mentioned, Darren, there's some great support from the Continent Service. So reach out and ask and, and get empowered, I think is great. Where or who would you recommend, Darren, for our listeners to go to for more support and, and help? Uh, with the continence issues you're talking about? I think just um, just generally, really, where where to go, whether it's um, continence, uh, medications, counselling. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Look, just on that on that subject, I would definitely. It's a it's it's a hard one because a lot of people, you know, a lot of listeners probably have reached out and found themselves, you know not feeling too comfortable with the person they're talking to or had a bad experience. But what I would generally recommend in the first instance is that a listener, a listeners, you know, organize a long consult with their GP or GP they trust and hopefully is experienced with MS and sex. Um, I myself, as a matter of due diligence, I always refer my male clients with any sexual difficulty to reach out to a urologist for a further assessment of bloods, of physical uh, functioning and assessment and medications. Of course, you know, the male client will need a referral from the GP to see a urologist, but a urologist is really important on, you know, sexual functioning for men with MS and not with MS, obviously. Um, I'm a, the the uh, I should say before that that the MS Continent Service, as I said before, can reach out to for further assessment and for information. But I was going to say I myself can provide um, face-to-face, online or phone counselling, relationship counselling, individual counselling, sex therapy. You can search me up online, my name, and find my uh, my website, the Epicenter. But uh, as I said before, there's some great online resources. The ones I know that work, that uh, I've confirmed do work, are Esther Perel. So Mm -hmm. definitely look her up as a great resource for, and that might be a good place to start because some people will try and look up, do a bit of DIY work themselves, and they might get some information that helps them with resolving some of their issues online through other other world experts before they even talk to someone. Yeah. And I think, as you say, Darren, really important that if you are going online, you go into reputable places. So not just Dr. Google, but actually check and go to some um, recognized reputable sources for your information, including our website, ms.org.au. And Darren, how do you keep your relationship on track as you navigate some of these sensitive areas? With yeah. MS and sex. Look, what it's really important to keep your relationship on track. It's really important from all of my work over the many thousands of hours. Really important to keep the dialogue or the channels of communication open. 
I can't emphasize that enough because as soon as you shut down on dialogue or shut down the channels of communication, then issues become unresolved. So really important, communication is the most effective tool in the toolbox for couples. That research has backed that up time and time again. And as I said, by harboring resentment towards your partner, drifting apart, um, withdrawing from the relationship because you're not resolving issues, all of those, all of those events, all of those things, all of those dynamics that happen has been found to be one of the main causes of relationships splitting up because unresolved issues or a grudge or a hurt file just builds up, builds up over many years. The couple look at it. This is too much. I don't have the energy for this. Um, too much water's passed under the bridge. I've lost my love, my respect for you. So I can't emphasize enough again that the best advice I can give here distilled down into one short paragraph of information is keep the lines of communication open, resolve things, nip them in the bud early before they build up, small things and big things. Once again, another evidence-based online resource is the Gottman Institute. Like Esther Perel, it's evidence-based, it's research-based. They have many, many great resources on couple communication. Oh. And Darren, how do you spell that? What the Gottman Institute, you said how? Um, yeah, it's. I think the website address is Gottman, G-O-T-T-M-A-N, Gottman.com, I think it is. Okay, beautiful. Yeah. Thanks, Darren. Lots of fantastic information there for our listeners. So to bring our podcast to a close, can I do that really naughty thing and ask you for your three top messages that you'd like our listeners to, to take away? Yeah, look, for sure, for sure, Nicola. Look, number one is compassion and empathy for oneself, your partner, your family, and the world around you. It's called loving kindness from a Buddhism philosophy standpoint. Keep, as I said before, keep the lines and channels of communication open between you and your partner. And from a mindfulness perspective, remember the power of now by paying attention to the present. A mindfulness little suggestion. <laughs> Beautiful. They're powerful messages. And thanks so much, Darren. I hope the people listening have um, really got some great tips and, and a sense that they're not alone in this. There's lots of options and support available to them. Yeah. Look, look thanks so much, Nicola, for inviting me on. It's been, yeah, really, really great to be able to share this information. I, I love working in this space and, yeah, I enjoy a chance to, to share what I have with your listeners and I hope just some information today, even if it's a small piece of information, can improve someone's quality of life and it can be the catalyst for, you know, further personal and relationship growth. Yeah, so we're really encouraging the men out there listening to reach out and get some support. The, the benefits are worth the initial reluctance yeah. I think so thanks yep. to everyone for joining us today thanks to our listeners and just a gentle reminder you can reach out to our nurse advisors to our continent service our social workers you can call MS Connect as Darren mentioned and the number for that is 
042138. And if you found the podcast useful, we'd love you to subscribe to our series. We'd love to hear from you anytime about topics or guests. You can email us at education at ms.org.au. Thanks for your company and bye for now.